in a classic case of forbidden love, Alice Flagg, a Polly's Island plantation princess, fell in love with a lumberman by the name of John Braddock. At the hand of her brother Allard, Alice's fairy tale romance would never come to be, as she would die of what most would call a broken heart. But to this day, you can still visit her grave, where some have witnessed strange happenings. Could the longing for her lost love still be seen from beyond the grave? My name is Blake Mosley, and this is South Carolina Spook Show. Stay tuned. time inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The coast of South Carolina can be an eerie place, with Spanish moss draped over tree branches looking like long, ghostly fingers reaching out to grab passersby. The fog, the mist, and the sea breeze all complete the perfect setting for ghostly tales, like that of Alice Flagg, a well-known ghost haunting the South Carolina Grand Strand. Alice's story begins in 1849 at the Hermitage of Merle's Inlet, South Carolina, seashore home of the Flagg family, owners of the great Wachesaw Plantation. Alice Bellin Flagg lived with her mother and brother, Dr. Allard Flagg, who took over as family patriarch when his father, and Alice's father, died. As the head of the house, it was his responsibility to see to his sister's upbringing, and she was being brought up to marry into the South Carolina aristocracy. Every woman must leave her mark on the earth, Alice's mother would say. Indeed, every Georgetown County plantation princess was expected to marry a plantation prince, period. No questions asked, no exceptions made. But who can control one's heartstrings? It would be Alice's fate to fall in love with a common lumberman, handsome and successful in his field, but still far beneath her required station. His name was John Braddock, and he was a man who worked with his hands. He knew nothing about plantation society other than as his employees. They met one day while Alice went riding. Alice had a strong, rebellious streak and loved to ride fast, ignoring her family's warnings. Horseback riding gave her a sense of freedom that she could not enjoy at home, where there were so many expectations of her as a young Southern belle. On horseback, she could be free and could be the Alice flag that she wanted to be. As she rode onto the main path that day, she suddenly spotted some men clearing the road of a fallen tree. One of the lumbermen caught her eye. His name was John Braddock, and before they knew it, the two were instantly drawn to one another. Their tragic courtship was about to begin. When Alice mentioned her newfound beau to her family, her mother and her brother became extremely concerned. 
How can you possibly carve a place for yourself in this society if you attach yourself to his common lumberman? They asked. But Alice could only pay attention to her heart, and she spent her days dreaming of her beloved. She sent secret messages to John by way of loyal servants, who would deliver them and arrange for secret meeting places. One day, her young man mustered up enough courage to come call on Alice's family. Her brother, Allard, was furious that Alice would continue to associate with such a commoner and would so blatantly defy his wishes, and despite Alice's pleadings, Allard turned John away. Alice felt that her very life was being taken away from her by her tyrannical brother and unyielding mother. Had they never known love before? Did they not know what it was like to love someone so deeply that it hurt? She was heartbroken, and there was no family member to turn to for a sympathetic shoulder. But she was more determined than ever to continue to see John. While her mother and her brother continued to search for a worthy husband, Alice secretly accepted an engagement ring from her true love. It was a plain gold ring with a simple inscription, Love never fails, John. Alice loved the ring, but she knew that she could never wear it openly on her finger. So she placed it on a blue ribbon to wear around her neck, close to her heart. Her family would come around to accepting her love for John and would accept him into the family, she thought. It was just a matter of time. But as time went on, her brother and her mother stepped up their relentless pursuit of a proper husband and would no longer allow Alice to see her lumberman. Alice finally sent her away to boarding school in Charleston, providing the school with strict orders to prevent any correspondence between the two lovers. But time and distance would not make Alice's heart less fervent for her beloved. Although she attended many social events, including the annual St. Cecilia Ball, the biggest coming out party of the season, and was pursued by many suitors, she remained true to John. She wore the ribbon around her neck thin, fingering her ring, reading the beautiful inscription and clutching it close to her aching heart. At times, she would take it off the ribbon, place it on her finger, and would imagine her wedded bliss. Why did her brother fail to see how miserable he was making her? She would then cry herself to sleep. As she pined away in Charleston, she began to grow frail and thin. Her future seemed dark and unclear. She began to have strange dreams where she was lost in a dark forest. She heard her beloved calling out to her in the darkness and tried walking towards him, but he was always out of reach. The empty blackness enveloped her and she could move no more. She lost sight of John's form, and then she too was lost in the void. When she awoke, she found herself ill with fever, a fever that seemed to overtake her, just as the darkness had. Out of alarm for her health, Allard was summoned to Charleston. He traveled for four days to reach her, and once he arrived, he found her too weak to even acknowledge his presence. He carried her to his carriage for the long journey home, but the jostling and the jolting four-day carriage ride made her even more ill, and by the time she was placed in her own bed at the hermitage, she was comatose. She dreamed feverish dreams of her beloved, calling out his name, reaching for the ring around her neck to comfort her. Then she would visibly sigh, her frail body relaxing in sleep. One night as Alice slept, Allard spotted the ring around her neck. He became enraged, for to him, the lumberman was solely responsible for his sister's illness and he wanted all reminders of this tragic figure removed from his house and his sister's mind. Without a second thought, he snatched the ribbon from his sister's neck. It only took one small tug to break it, since Allard had worn it down to nothing. In a fit of rage, Allard threw the ring 
into a nearby creek. As Alice awoke the next morning, she made the familiar and comforting gesture of clutching the ring to her chest. To her horror, she found that it wasn't there. She deliriously asked for it and made wild searching motions for the ring, pounding and scratching at her chest, leaving clawing marks on her delicate skin. She was panic-stricken. If the ring was gone, she thought, then so was she. Hours later, she lapsed into a coma and died. Alice Flagg was dressed in her favorite dress for her funeral at All Saints Church. As friends viewed the body, they shuddered at the sight. Where had her youth and beauty gone? This was not the face that they remembered. It was a cold, pained face, with all of its spirit drained away. There was taught that she could not bear losing her true love, and that was the real reason that she had died. If this story were true, then everyone knew that not even death could give her peace. She was buried at All Saints Waccamaw Episcopal Church near Pauley's Island. Allard insisted that no other inscription than her first name commemorate her grave, for he felt that she had disgraced the family unforgivably. He believed that her stubborn rebelliousness had caused her early death and that she did not deserve further acknowledgement. No one knew what became of John Braddock, since he was not seen at the funeral. Some say he was so grief-stricken that he could no longer stay in the place that held so many memories of her. With Alice's death, he too seemed to fade away. But so many believe that even in death, Alice did not give up her hope of being united with her one true love. In death, they say, she continues to search for her ring, the symbol of her chosen man's affection. There are stories about sightings of Alice, followed by strange happenings. Some say when a group of young people stood at her gravesite, a ring suddenly flew off of the finger of one of the girls. She had been unable to remove the ring for some time, but it mysteriously flew off. It took much of the day to relocate the ring, which the girl treasured. Alice has been seen many times near her final resting place, behind the wrought iron gates of All Saints Churchyard. Through the years, many guests at the Hermitage have seen a vivid, lifelike Alice standing in her old bedroom. She's always wearing a long white dress, as if dressed for a wedding. And always, she appears to be searching endlessly for her lost ring. You can visit Alice's grave today at All Saints Waccamaw Episcopal Church. Just look for a plain marble slab engraved with only one word, Alice. Coming up on South Carolina Spook Show. Civil War ghost stories are popular among those who consider themselves history buffs and paranormal enthusiasts. But what is it about Fort Fremont that makes it so spooky if it was never home to any battles? And later, the 1837 bed and breakfast has been a prime example of Charleston's beautiful architecture and top-notch lodging for those looking to get away. But don't be surprised if you end up having an extra roommate during your stay. The playful spirit of the 1837 bed and breakfast is coming up on South Carolina Spook Show. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You 
you can freely hike through the ruins of a hauntingly beautiful fort in South Carolina on St. Helena Island. In spite of the fact that this fort saw no wartime action, it remains one of the most haunted places in the state. I suggest that whatever you do, do not come alone to take what may be the creepiest hike in South Carolina. Curious about haunting hiking trails? This one is perfect. Welcome to Fort Fremont. For some, it's just a walk in the park to explore the ruins of Fort Fremont. But for others, especially for those who are sensitive to paranormal activities, hiking through Fort Fremont can be a harrowing experience. The fort was built in 1899 during the era of the Spanish-American War. It saw no action in actual battles. It was, however, erected to protect certain interests along the coast during the Spanish-American War. You may be wondering how, if it wasn't involved in any battles, it could possibly be haunted. That, in and of itself, is an interesting tale. Around 1910, approximately 10 years before the fort was completely decommissioned, the soldiers stationed at Fort Fremont got in a little skirmish with the locals. Stories that follow that skirmish attribute the issue to either the locals' production of moonshine, or probably, more accurately, one particular soldier who was accused of sleeping with another man's wife. That soldier's name was Frank J. Quigley, and we know this because Quigley was brutally killed in that skirmish. We also know that Quigley was killed by a local man, Isaiah Potter, who accused Quigley of the dastardly action of sleeping with Potter's wife. To this day, paranormal sensitive individuals claim to have encounters with Quigley while visiting the ruins of the fort. And there's a nearby road that features an unexpected light called the Land's End Light that's attributed to Quigley. It's said that Quigley was decapitated during the fight and the unexplained light along the highway is actually Quigley walking around looking for his head. Coming up on South Carolina Spook Show. The 1837 Bed and Breakfast has been the prime example of Charleston's beautiful architecture and top-notch lodging for those looking to get away. But don't be surprised if you end up having an extra roommate during your stay. The playful spirit of the 1837 Bed and Breakfast is next on South Carolina Spook Show. Life isn't always easy. In fact, we all battle depression during life's ups and downs. Music has always been the thing that we can rely on to get us through the tough times we all face. The podcast, When Words Fail, Music Speaks, with host James and Blake, discusses the healing power of music. They interview bands, break down genres, review band biographies, and a lot more. On When Words Fail, Music Speaks, enjoy interviews and lively discussions about musicians and songs you know and love. This is a podcast any music lover will enjoy. Add When Words Fail, Music Speaks to your podcast playlist right now. Available on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and wherever you listen to podcasts. A great deal of Charleston's appeal lies in its splendid array of antebellum mansions. Before the Civil War, Charleston was the most prosperous city in the South, due in large part to the slave trade. With the late 18th and early 19th centuries, Charleston was the main point of entry for slaves sent to the United States. In fact, 70% of all the slaves who were transported to America passed through Charleston Harbor. One of Charleston's saddest ghost stories harkens back to the days when countless families were torn asunder and sold at Charleston's old slave market. The 1837 Bed and Breakfast 
built in 1837 by Henry Cabaya, is a stunning example of the Charleston single house. During the 1830s, a slave couple lived in a room on the third floor along with their nine-year-old son, George. In 1843, financial adversity forced Cabaya to sell several of his slaves, including George's parents. The next day, the little boy walked down to the dock and asked a man where his parents were. He was told that they had been taken away aboard a ship that was currently docked in the middle of Charleston Harbor. Motivated by hope that he might be reunited with his parents, he stole a rowboat and rowed in the direction of his parents' ship. All at once, the little boat capsized and George was drowned. Jane M. Find, the concierge at the 1837 Bed and Breakfast, believes that George remains in the old house because it is where he grew up. It is also the last place where he lived with his parents. His mischievous behavior has earned George the label of poltergeist among the staff at the inn. You don't see him, Fine said. He just makes things move. He will open doors, he rocks chairs, and he turns lights on and off. Most of these disturbances take the form of the mattress shaking, or lights turn on when they were turned off, and he gets blamed if the radio goes off in the middle of the night. And what usually happens is that someone the night before has the alarm set, and instead of turning it to off, they just let the music play until the radio sets back up again. Also, if you have a soda can or something else that beads water up on it, the beads of water will walk off the glass tabletops. However, Fine believes that beads walk off the table because the house is not level, not because the ghosts are active. Fine had an otherworldly experience in room 4, which is where George seems to be the most active. At the time, it was the concierge's room. The configuration going into the bathroom was different than it is now. There were French doors that went into the bathroom. One night, I was awakened by one of the French doors just banging back and forth. I got up, walked over, and shut the doors. I went to bed and was awakened again by the French doors just banging back and forth. I sat up in bed and said, George, stop it. You're scaring me. And the door stopped moving. So I went back to sleep. That was my experience with George. A former concierge at the 1837 Bed and Breakfast has also been spooked in room four. A couple of times when I came into the room, the TV was on and I had turned it off. Sometimes I'll turn the bathroom light on and the main light acts like it's dying. I remember going to sleep one night. I went to the bathroom and when I got back, the TV came back on. I said to myself, worst case scenario, it's George, and I went back to sleep. On several occasions, George has surprised guests while they were asleep. Angela Creech, head housekeeper at the end, said, guests have heard George into the room and walk around. Then he shakes the bed hard and tries to wake them up. They look around and there's nobody there. Angela felt George shake the bed one night when she was asleep in the room. I told him to stop, and he did, Angela said. Fine said that one of the funniest incidents at the 1837 bed and breakfast took place in May of 2002. We had a lady come down at breakfast, and she said, did we have an earthquake last night? And I said, I don't think so. She said that her bed was moving, and I said, was the chandelier moving too? She said, no. And I said, well, that's not an earthquake. I didn't tell her about the ghost. Chances are that it was George adding up again. She asked me to call the earthquake people, and I did, and they said we didn't have an earthquake. She accused them of covering it up. Longtime employees at the 1837 Bed and Breakfast have become somewhat laissez-faire about the inn's resident ghost. 
The disturbances in the house seem to be more characteristic of the pranks of an attention-starved child than the fiendish activity of a malevolent entity. I think George just wants us to know that he's there, Fine said. Thank you again for listening to another episode of South Carolina Spook Show. You know, the story of Alice Flagg was actually covered in the uh, Halloween countdown that I did a few months back. Uh, It really stood out to me, and I really wanted to come back to it with a little bit more in-depth analysis about the story between her and John Braddock and how it all played out and what happens now if you go to her grave and it's just simply marked Alice, like no, no last name or anything, so... Very eerie story, very sad story, and I'm glad that we were able to kind of dive into that a little bit more. Um, and uh, thank you again to Craig Hodge for sending me the article about Fort Fremont. Uh, it was really fun to, to learn about that as well. Um, if you don't mind, share this episode with someone who you know loves true crime and paranormal stories, especially if they are from South Carolina and have an interest in that. I'd very much appreciate it. And this podcast is actually available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and a few more. So if you know anyone who prefers one of those platforms, please do me a favor, send it to them. And I really appreciate it. Uh, You can also leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or you can send me a direct message on any of the social media pages that I have for this podcast. I got a message here from Neely. Uh, who said, hey, Blake, I just drove from Nashville to Myrtle Beach, then back, then yesterday drove from Nashville to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, uh, and listened to your podcast. I love it. All of them are super awesome. Just a heads up, I am related to Theodosia Burr Alston uh, via Joseph Alston. Long story, my dad's side of the family is from Georgetown since the uh, 1600s. I have heard so much more than just the Theodosia story, but also the gray man. Lots of variations, but some people are just, you know, talking out of their butts. So my great-grandmother saw the gray man's wife in the late 1800s, maybe 1894, on Debordeaux Island. She was warned by the gray man's wife who appeared to her on the end of her bed and told her to leave. Uh, She tried to leave what was left behind. A servant put her and her dog in the rafters of our family's beach house, and the servant tied him up and and their horse to a treetop during a hurricane, and they all survived. My great-grandmother was a very respectable and sane person until she passed away in the early 1970s. We have her diaries that she wrote in from when she was about nine until the day that she died. A lot of cool stuff in these books. If you want to know more about the gray man, Theodosia, and Alice of Hermitage, I have a ton of stories from my family that have been passed down for generations. Uh, So yeah, thank you, Neely, uh, for doing that. I didn't get a chance to reach out to you before doing this story about Alice Flagg, but you know the story of the gray man and Theodosia Burr. There is a lot more to tell with the, with both of those. Um, as you know, time goes on, we start coming across more pieces of media that, that kind of dive into it a little more. And uh, I would love to talk to you, so I'll definitely be reaching out. But just like Neely, if you have some kind of story, any personal connections to anything that I've talked about or maybe will talk about in the future, let me know. I would love to speak to you um, and, uh, and, and get some more information on that. That's so awesome. Uh, you can follow the show on social media. Like I mentioned before, we're on Facebook and Instagram. It's at South Carolina Spook Show. Also on Twitter, at SC Spook Show. Um, and you can send me, like I said, some ideas or your own personal stories or episode suggestions to the email scspookshow at gmail.com. Or, like Neely did, you can shoot me a message on any of those social media sites that I mentioned before. If you don't mind checking out my other podcast, it's called When Words Fail, Music Speaks. I do that with my buddy James Cox. It's all about music. Uh, and battling depression with the power of music. 
Uh, and uh, we have a lot of fun on that. It's available on all of the podcast apps, and I think you guys would really enjoy that. The Ghost of Alice Flag on Polly's Island was written by Kathy Camerlin and Craig Dominey for TheMoonlitRoad.com. Explore Haunted Post-Civil War Era Ruins at Fort Fremont was written by Robin Jarvis for OnlyInYourState.com and was also sent to me by Craig Hodge, like I mentioned before. Thank you, Craig. Uh, And The Playful Spirit of the 1837 Bed and Breakfast was written by Alan Brown from his book, Haunted South Carolina, Ghosts and Strange Phenomena of the Palmetto State, uh, which I have a copy of and I read through it constantly. I got a collection of books here that people have given me uh, or that I've come across uh, just out and about. Um, and I'm starting to take some of these stories and read some of these passages uh, on the show. And uh, it, it's a great book. I highly encourage you to go check it out. It's available on Amazon and all that stuff. So uh, all articles that were read on South Carolina Spook Show are the property of their respective authors and is used for purposes of commentary and review. No copyright infringement is intended. Uh, thank you again for listening. I am your creator and host, Blake Mosley, and this is South Carolina Spook Show. Y'all stay spooky.